Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of liberty Let our rejoicing rise High as the listening skies Let it resound loud as the rolling sea Sing the song Full of the faith that the dark past has taught us Sing a song Full of the hope that the present has brought us Facing the rising sun Of our new day begun Let us march on Till victory is won. What's going on? What's happening? What it is, blues people? Yet again, it is time for your weekly dose of blues music, heritage, tradition, culture. Boy, look at here. It's Jack Dapper Blues Radio. We celebrate and preserve our heritage and our music, as well as raise cultural awareness about the traditions of the music. My guest today, as is this brother, has a really deep, deep connection with the blues, with the traditions of the people of the blues, with the, the culture of the blues. Raised in the Cedar Street Cafe in North Little Rock, Arkansas. What y'all know about that? Please give a Jack Dapper Blues welcome to someone I've been wanting to interview for a long time, Billy Joan Blues. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? I'm okay, brother. I'm, I'm bluesing. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Wonderful. Good, good. So, uh, you know, I just want to get to it because you have a long history and connection to not just the music, but the, the, the culture and the people that inspired this music. Let's start from the beginning, because this is really interesting. The fact that you were born and raised in a somewhat of a juke joint environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. From the very beginning, my uh, grandfather owned a uh, cafe, the uh, Cedar Street Cafe at a uh, 903 Cedar in North Little Rock, Arkansas. That's where it all went down. Mm. <laughs> I can hear. So, so now let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about that because it, it all did go down there. Matter of fact, what, do do me a favor for the audience. Set up the scene of the Cedar Street Cafe, please. Well. Originally, my grandfather had come from Warren, Arkansas, you know, from growing up in uh, slave quarters and uh, working in the tomato fields and watermelon fields and all that. That was, you know, part of that culture. And um, he had to move to Little Rock because of a disagreement with the sheriff's son. Mm. Another long story. But anyway, when he came there, he started out bootlegging until he got enough money to have his own place built. And uh, he had him a cafe built, and uh, that's where we all grew up from. That's what, that's all we had ever known, you know. Wow. Yeah, and uh, it was an interesting place. I can imagine. And just for the simple fact that he, he had to move because of discrepancy with the sheriff, that's like the beginning or at least inciting incident of a lot of black families who had to migrate across America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So now, it's obvious where, but I still have to ask you this. But yet, I'll word it this way. At what point were you introduced to 
the music aspect of the culture when you re- recognize wow this this is where it's at well from the beginning uh my mother and father's room my father had been in the military you know and he come back from you know he was a korea korean war veteran and uh he come back from uh william beaumont fort william beaumont in uh, el paso texas and uh we had to live there in one of the rooms my dad my granddad's cafe was like a boarding house you know because in those days uh black people couldn't stay in the different hotels and stuff and so uh when he built his cafe he built rooms that you rent you know you got your regular renters but you also have your people like uh uh bobby bland and uh sonny boy williamson and uh people like that that passing through howling wow crew well this was a safe place for them to be and and you know they performed at my grandfather's place and another juke joint in that area and so uh my crib was like in the room behind the jukebox wow Uh, and so i'm hearing this from the very beginning wow uh wow while I'm laying there uh, as a baby, I'm hearing Elmore James and, you know, all of them. Wow. Well, let me ask you this, because you, you make a, a very historic statement that it, it was a boarding house because a, a lot of black folk couldn't stay or travel in certain places. So this is, is it... Um, Fair to say, this was around the time the Negro Motorist Green Book was established. Right. Jeez. Yeah, but uh, I don't think the Green Book would have helped you much. If- <laughs> it's not funny. It's just the irony of of, of the statement, and, and it, it's that much more, at least for me, impactful because you were there. You know. Oh, when I started playing with uh, Calvin and Jose Levy, the Levy brothers that had the song uh, "Comments for the Farm," are you familiar with that? Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, uh, we used to play in Augusta, Arkansas, right? And I'm like 14, 15 years old. And we would have to stay at different black families' houses. You know, the the uh, Jose and, and Slim, well, Calvin, we call Slim, uh, they had already arranged for us, you know, to stay with these people, these families and stuff. Wow. To town, uh, well, up the road to the white restaurant, you have to go to the back window to get your food because you can't go in the front door. You know, you can't uh, be served in there. And it's always black people working in the kitchen. So you're getting this humongous, fantastic plate. <laughs> Practically nothing, you know, and they're just serving them a little bit on the other side, out front, you know. I know, I dig it. See, I'm happy. That was a great segue because you said that at 14, you you were actually a traveling musician. So, so based on your beginnings is sleeping where a wall separated you from the jukebox <laughs> as well as the juke joint. You've been playing for some time. Right. This is all I've ever wanted to do, man. When I when I was a little kid, my uncle gave me uh, one of those little plastic guitars with the uh, plastic strings on it, and they had a handle. And you spin that handle to play Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> well, I used to stand in front of the jukebox, especially in the daytime, you know, while they're cleaning up and preparing for the night. Mm-hmm. When people would play those songs on the jukebox, I'm standing there with my little plastic guitar pretending that's me. Wow. My uh, first conscious thought is that, that I can remember is that I wanted to be like Elmo James and B.B. King and, you know, all those people I was hearing on the jukebox. You know, those were my heroes, as I guess the people on television today are for the new generations, you know. 
Right, yeah. right. So now, when was the first time you could remember performing? Was it at Setter Street? Well, I used to I used to travel around with a uh, bunch of winos. You know, we'd have in a cafe. Uh, my grandfather also had a school bus, and he would drive the people that lived there to the cotton fields. You know. Mm. During the in in the afternoon, you know, and and you know your winos. He had a goldenrod wine, uh, thirty five cent for a short pint. Mm. You know, and uh, winos are some very interesting people. <laughs> you can say that again. And they can tell you how to make a million dollars, but they will prefer to stand around the trash barrel with the other winos. You, mm. you know, but I hear that. So. <laughs> I, I really have to tell you, I'm honored because what you're sharing with us is actually the sole purpose of this platform because there is a human being behind the instrument that plays the blues right and and prior to it becoming a, 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 a physical instrument meaning like a guitar or harmonica was the voice right and and these things that you're sharing with us is the situations that led to these songs these stories right right and it's also odd well, I wouldn't say odd. I would say ironic. The way what you just described mirrors today in the African-American community. And I would go as far as saying and just it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You, you have to have multiple streams of income to survive. So your grandfather had many services coming out of this one place. Yeah, they used to say he was the hardest working man in town. <laughs> and do you credit that upbringing and watching him work like that to how you implement your work ethic as a musician? Because you, my friend, from the time I, I, I came across you uh, a couple of years back, you're always pumping out new music. You're, you're, you're on the move. I mean, you're really like a modern day James Brown. Well, uh, my grandfather, you know, one thing I used to really hate, you know, back then the wine and whiskey and all that came in glass bottles. And then when Monday comes after the weekend, somebody has got to go out and pick the glass or the gravel on the parking lot. Mm. And I used to, especially when it's real hot or real cold, I used to just hate it. And my grandfather used to tell me that whenever you work for yourself, there's no job that's too big and there's no job that's too small. Mm. See, you got maggots in your drain, but some you selling hamburgers, you got to stick your hand down there and get, you can wash your hand. <laughs> and and that's the, it's a work ethic that he's instilled in all of us, that it's just a constant drive, you know, and plus that I'm just so obsessed with this. It's just that I'm applying the principles that I learned from him from the uh, nightclub business to the music business. I also had to learn that the most important area in the club is the bar. Mm. Please share. You know, the stage is only there to hold the audience so that the bar can turn over and make money. See, a lot of musicians think that the stage is the focal point of the business, but it's not, you know. Mm. In your business, in radio, uh, the music is there to you until the next commercial comes. Right. The commercials, you're not selling music, you see, but the the, the listener may think absolutely the opposite. Mm, mm. No, I hear that. So... Now, with that being said, because you pretty much, through our our, our culture and, and, and things of this nature, had a first-hand 
education on, on, on the music business. Were you always an independent artist based on this, or how did that work? Uh, yes, but it, it's, it's because this is such a hard and difficult area. And, and, you know, the hardest part about this business is human nature. Mm. You, you you can have your basics, equipment, transportation, personnel, but human nature is the biggest obstacle, you know, because of, you know, the way people act, you know, the, 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 and, and the ideas and stuff. And you're trying to run a business and they got this television uh, fantasy vision of how it really goes. But this is a real serious job, you know. I, I do. And I'm really happy. You brought this up. Can, can can you please go into more detail? Because what, I, what I'm receiving, and this is something that I live on a daily basis, so I, I get it. People hear music business, people hear musician, and they, and, and they have this decorated nostalgia of, of a movie life, and it's not really that. There's things that they don't really know what goes on in the day-to-day. Is that what you're saying? This is a hard job, and 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 you got to be about it and casually do it. Mm. Oh. So you know what? Could could you could you give us an example? Could you set the, the tone by by giving us an example of some of the uh, behind the scene things that are are quite tedious, but has to be done. So for what people think the fun stuff is, can be done. For example, a television show, I Dream a Genie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sammy Davis Jr. at the, the Caesars Palace on the phone. Hey, I'm giving a party for Major Nelson. Uh, and Sammy said, oh, sure, I'll be glad to be there, baby. And then the next thing, he's there at the pool, you know, with no thought to uh, transportation, instruments, money. He's got contracts and commitments with this casino, but he's just going to stop and go play at Major Nelson's pool party. And uh, the music just comes out of the air, you know. But mm. real life, you got... Uh, flat tires and universal joints and uh, timing change effects and uh, maintenance and repair. That's, that's what I'm doing today is maintenance and repair cords and uh, replace parts and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it, it is a job. It's a full job that the, the average person, you get no concept of just by looking at it on television, like on Empire, uh, a show like that. See, the, the easiest part of the job job is actually playing mm. you know what you're getting paid for is moving the equipment and showing up on time and and uh you know you got it it's a physical job you know absolutely absolutely now it, it, was there any uh, part of your career where you played just one man one guitar or were you always the 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 uh, uh, in a band atmosphere like uh, 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 Howlin' Wolf or Muddy? I've always preferred uh, to be in a band, but I have done both things quite a bit. I played at the Isla Capri Casino for a couple years or more as a single one-man thing, like the Blues Brunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I always prefer to be with my band, but I can I do both things. You know, I, I, I play a lot by myself. You know, uh, I know... Many more songs than any of my band members do, 
you know, you know, because like I say, I, I, I started out with those songs like Big Joe Turner and Elmore James and all that stuff. And I, I, I spent so much time focused on it. So when I play by myself, I can play a wider variety of songs. Mm. I had to do was develop a, a, a pattern where I play the lead and the rhythm part and the bass, you know, and basically my hand is you like like that. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I'm, I'm going to try to check this out. Can you hear that? Yes, sir. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> I hope y'all paying attention and taking notes. Huh? I was talking to the audience on that one. I hope they taking notes. <laughs> Playing the whole composition. Yeah, which is not easy to do. Everything all at once. Mm, mm. Now that's a musician. And, and it's an embodiment of the blues because, you know, and I'm happy, again, I'm happy because what you just did was break down the different factions of blues guitar. Mm. Right, because it's more than just one. It's rhythm, it's lead, and then it's the bass. Line, the, the drum beat, you got to produce all of that out of the instrument, you know. But if you in a situation where you got one guy that plays nothing but lead and the other guy plays nothing but rhythm, you know, it's not so necessary. But I, I've, I've come to prefer to play it more like that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, is it safe to say that one of your inspirations... <laughs> Uh, would be was Chuck Berry. Oh yeah, yeah, I love Chuck Berry. I didn't learn a lot of his songs though. My primary inspiration in the beginning was BB uh, King. Mm. I was unaware of, of T Bone Walker. My, you know, when when those acts used to come to my granddaddy's cafe, mm -hmm. Dad used to drive Howlin' Wolf them around in his old Ford. Mm. You know, and I was aware of Sonny Boy Williamson and uh, uh, Howlin' Wolf and all those people, Bobby Bland. But my dad was more into, I guess, maybe a generation before me, Charles Brown and T-Bone Walker. And I didn't know that the solo that B.B. King plays is the T-Bone Walker solo. Mm. King never had his own solo. He plays the... Uh, All that is T-Bone Walker. Mm-hmm. But I was you know, concerned it was B.B. King, you know. Right, rightfully so. That that just shows the, the not just the inspiration, but the path down of the torch, so to speak. So now, when was your first album? Do you remember that? The first album was Prime Suspect for the Blues. That's the one where uh, I had uh, Marry My Mother-in-Law, Doing All Right Again. You know, a lot of people played that for quite a bit. As a matter of fact, the young lady that is... Uh, promoting some shows and uh, doing some booking for us uh, with Blues Boy Productions, mm -hmm. uh, Betty Payton, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
husband, Artie Blue's boy, White, had originally recorded Marry My Mother-in-Law. Mm. No, and so I, I did my version of it. I, I was out in San Francisco for a while, and uh, it just caught on, you know. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, originals and cover songs. I, I, I like to mix them up, you know. Is there a reason behind that? And, and I'll tell you why I asked in a moment. Is there a reason why you, you, you choose to do your albums as such? Because, okay, the human mind... People say they want change, but they don't want too much change. Mm. A little bit of change. If you come totally artistic and, you know, then they're like, hey, this guy's out in left field somewhere. I don't understand what he's doing. (laughs) But if you can play one of your songs and then come back with one, they know. They're more familiar with that, right? Right. Right. We're prone to listen to both of the songs as opposed to closing their mind off and then later on they'll say, oh, yeah, I like that, you know. So is it safe to say there is a method behind attracting an audience? Oh, yes, 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 it is. Uh, uh, this is a songwriting and it's all about storytelling. And it's about that, uh, much like what you do, it's a one-on-one conversation. It's one person talking to one person. When you are on your broadcast, you're talking to one person. But each of those one persons may add up to be four million people. Right. Understood. Understood. Do you have any music videos out? Uh, The only videos I got is uh, us doing cover songs. Now, there's a video on YouTube of me doing the uh, Marry My Mother-in-Law on the James Gabbard show in San Francisco. Mm. If you just look look up Billy Jones and Marry My Mother-in-Law, it's been played hundreds of thousands of times. It'll, It'll come up. That's groovy. Now, let me ask you a question, because you, you've pretty much weathered the storm of not just the music business, but the blues industry, which is, is kind of a rough road, because on, on one side, they, they, the industry claims it's no real commercial value, but on the other side, you do hear blues songs, but they're just not um, listed under blues, or you may hear another style, another quote-unquote genre of song that gets called the blues what 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 do you feel before we go into the different sections of this what do you feel about the digital era compared to how it used to be well uh it's a lot of political mm. uh there's a lot of uh, uh i find that for one group of artists uh there are venues available there are tours uh, there's recognition, and for another group of artists, there is nothing. Mm. Okay, now, please, I'm not putting you on the spot, but we have this conversation often, so I'm just going to ask you, and if, if you do not want to answer, I understand. Uh, are we talking about the white blues musicians in, in comparison to black blues musicians? It's two totally different universes. Wow. You see, the Joe Bossom of whatever his name is, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Okay, this guy's world is totally different from Vernon Garrett's world. Mm. You see? Are you familiar with Vernon Garrett? I am. I have to be. He's a guy I've grown up playing with and known for a lifetime. I used to play with Lil' Johnny Taylor, Mm. uh, Larry Tati Davis, you know. Uh, I don't know if Tati Davis and Lil' Johnny Taylor have headstones on their graves. Wow. 
part, a, a majority of my life is to figure out how do I avoid the trap that I have watched them go through. Wow. You see, the venues are not open. Now, there are a few open things in, in Europe. You know, it's it's just like uh, Justin Bieber. Mm. You, you see what I'm saying? I do. I do. It's type of world. Now, I, I, I want to ask you to explain the trap, right? I understand what you're saying, but just for the audience clarification, what trap were these forefathers of, of blues well, uh, to be ignored out of existence. Mm. Oh, and uh, perfect example, somebody that I know personally and grew up with, Larry Tasha Davis, Texas Flood. Nobody can perform or play or sing Texas Flood like Larry Tasha Davis. Mm. Master, he's an originator. He's a, he is fantastic, but he is invisible. Wow. On records Texas Flood uh, and imitate Larry Davis, lick for lick, vocal run for vocal run, word for word, note for note. He's a genius. Give him another bus and an airplane. Wow. Is he? I, I do. I, I, I see all too often. For those of you just tuning in, this is Jack Dapper Blues on WFDU HD2, and I'm in a very, very deep and necessary conversation with living blues legend, Billy Joan Blues. Now, let me ask you this question, right? Because now, we, we know, we, you, you hear, uh, gentlemen, uh, another living legacy like uh, Bobby Rush. He's the, the, the king of the Chitlin circuit, right? I bring the Chitlin circuit up because what I'm trying to, uh, what I'm getting to to ask you is, is there a, is there less black people attending blues performances still? Uh, I, I don't know. That, that's a hard question to answer. You know, we get back to the venues and the promotions and the marketing. And, uh, you know, like I say, there are venues for this other side of the track that is not available. Now, Bobby Rush is literally a genius. Mm. And he reintroduced the elements of uh, theater, danger, sexuality, vaudeville. Mm. To he reinfused that into music, into blues, black blues music, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Old man on the front porch with the, or in the folding chair with the uh, Stacey Adams on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, no, I dig it. And those are my shoes, too. <laughs> Ooh, I got the ones with the lizard. <laughs> I dig it. So, all right. Now, now that's interesting because what, what you said was, was, very good. You, it's not the audience because no, no. white and black audience alike appreciate the music and the artist. The artists. Right. It is the those who are the gatekeepers, so to speak. The marketers. The the political climate. You know, we're gonna buy this one. Three buses, but you, if you can get an old station wagon and put a, a, a generator on it, get that the best way you can. Wow. No contract. And they cl they cancel out at the last minute. You you see, I don't think Joe Bassamana or whatever, I can't say, dude. I don't think he's having that problem. Wow. You, you see? I understand. 
Tommy Castro is having that problem. They go on the blues cruise and all that, but somehow we just, you know, even in my environment, I am fortunate that I have come in contact with uh, people and been able to play at, at the casinos and the Mid-South Delta. We don't play enough, but we, we play enough to stay alive. Understood. You know, but the thing is, uh, there are other places where the doors are closed to us. The Choctaw Casinos, the the, the Oakland Horse Tracks and all of that, you know. And you only see us when it's like one of us as a token surrounded by three or four of them. It does not amaze me, but at the same token, it still it does amaze me that in this day and age... Where so many people, I guess, for whatever, believed segregation and these things are over, but it's blatantly right there. It's right there in your face. And and the headquarters is here in Arkansas, in Harrison, which is the subject. Wow. The Bible is, is, the, is the buckle of the Bible belt and the uh, Klan headquarters. That's what... Wow. So now... The, how Arkansas, you know, right? So now, because Arkansas has has a rough history in in parallel to Alabama and Mississippi, how was the terrain for your for your grandfather to have this business for you yourself to to come up there and be a traveling musician? How was those experiences? Oh, it, I mean, I mean, it's it, it's a constant thing. Like I'm saying now, there are doors that are closed to me that have driven me out of Arkansas. Wow. And then out of the country. I can play uh, at Blues Passions in Cognac, France, but I can't quite play at the Juke Joint in uh, Arkadelphia. Unbelievable. And I mean, it's more unbelievable that it's considered a Juke Joint when a a Juke Joint is a legitimate black-owned business. They are Juke Joints. Right. You know, I, 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 wow. You know, of our culture that we survive, we we exist and 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 we we move under our own volition because those opportunities are not there for us. The blues cruises and the, the summer tours and all that type of stuff. But we still get light bills and water bills, you know. I I do know <laughs> that must be paid or before it goes into the red. Got to make something out of nothing. Mm, which is what the blues is, pretty much. Right. Well, I oh man! Now, at one time, were you part of the the festival circuit when it was predominantly black artists? Well, what I'm trying to say to you is, it, there is still a festival circuit. It's the Kendlin circuit that you're speaking of. Mm. You get your Willie Clayton, uh, Marvin C's, Denise LaSalle, you know, these these packages, Southern Soul packages that play the smaller rooms, you know, you, you'd be you're very fortunate to get on one of those uh, shows like that. Wow. Still not like the Kenny Wayne Shepherd show. No, I'm clear. I, I'm, 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 I'm very clear. It, it's, I'm clear. Smaller venues, smaller money, smaller promotions, and the things of that nature. Now, let me ask you this. You mentioned earlier that you played with a, a lot of, like yourself, legendary blues musicians. Were you uh, always the front man, or in those moments, were you their lead guitarist or, or things of this nature? Uh, uh, no, uh, especially like in the beginning when I was with uh, Calvin Levy and all of those guys, Lil' Johnny Taylor. Mm-hmm. I was just uh, some little kid. 
in the background. I don't know why they was even. I don't know why they even had me there. <laughs> but they did. Right, which is the point. Yeah, and I learned how to do the job, what's involved, and and uh, then you move on up. That was a time when I was in my twenties that uh, I started my own bands, and we were playing uh, military installations, Air Force bases, uh, naval stations, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a pretty good time. Uh, it wasn't as harsh a political environment as it is in the uh, civilian world. Right. And and uh, we play uh, stuff like Gap Band, Zap, Midnight Star, <laughs> Rick James, you know, all of that stuff. Mm. And uh, the glam rock and all of those elements still wrapped around the blues. All these things are, are offshoots of the blues. Absolutely. And, and so uh, even though we kind of got more into the costumes and the glitter and uh, all of that, it was still the blues electrified and synthesized. That's right. But now I'm happy you brought up the, the, the costumes and things of that nature because that is also part of the stage presentation. It's show business, and both of those parts are very serious. They're both equally serious, you know. Uh, I, I used to watch, uh, when I was a little kid, Liberace, he'd come out and say, Oh, I'm wearing this fur coat for you. <laughs> you know, but then I began to understand. Also, uh, Gladys Knight said that the lady that was the etiquette teacher at Motown mm -hmm. said that the reason that you dress up for your audience is a sign of respect to say, I love you, I respect you, and I had to come in my finest to stand before you. I hear that. And I, and I, I understand that as a performing artist and I understand and appreciate that as someone who attends shows. So would, would, would you say, based on your graduating through the ranks, is, is there a difference now with because with with up and coming artists or even some that are actually established that didn't have didn't have that old school training it just depends on the character of the person you know because like i say in this area i get a lot of uh this guy wants me to play it the way he wants me to play it he wants me to play his childhood memories mm. If he doesn't believe that I can play It Hurts Me Too by Elmore James and then turn around and play uh, uh, Roger Troutman with the talk bar, my little mind just can't hold both of that those types of information. Wow. You, you, you see? Uh, I dig it. He wants only nothing but the gut bucket blues. So we are like carpenters. If you want a Spanish-style house built, that's what we'll build for you. Mm. Your show would be better if you let us go ahead and do what we want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So would you, do you think a lot of people in their passion for the blues is just living in a nostalgia of an uh, idea? That... I don't want to start me talking because I... <laughs> <laughs> myself in the foot so many times. I had said that I would never, ever do another interview. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've done one. Because at the time that I was doing that, at first of all, I thought I was I was telling the truth. Big mistake. Mm. Secondly, uh, but, but 
I was saying to the blues industry that you guys are charging downhill. The people that you are trying to make this music for are already dead. Mm. I'm saying you should be charging uphill into the future instead of rushing back to 1956. And 1956 was a good year. But you should take the information that you learned in 1956 and apply it, you know. To right now. And not only that, the instruments, you know, uh, when Muddy Waters switched over from acoustic to electric, when Bob Dylan swept over, switched over from acoustic to electric, you would have thought the world was going to end because they don't want you to take one step forward. You should incorporate those drum machines and those synthesizers into the music instead of saying, well, we don't want this and we don't want that. So now you are blinding yourself and you're stuck in this one spot. And so now your young people are running away from you as fast as they can because they don't care about uh, Sonny Boy Williamson. Mm. You know what I'm saying? No, I dig it. Is there a way we could make the young and younger generation care about Sonny Boy? Yeah, take that style and put some funk on it. <laughs> it's just simple as that. Put some danger and some sexuality into that music. That is what I was saying about uh, the genius of Bobby Rush. Mm. He reminded the black world that we really used to entertain people. Right. And and uh, the, the, the reinfusion of the vaudeville theory, one of the greatest things I can ever think of. I study everything I can about it. I see Bobby Rush with the same eye that I see Michael Jackson. Wow. Because he is a... And he, he don't talk to me much, but we know each other. Right. Uh, but either way, you get an opportunity to get inspiration. Yeah. He is someone to study. I hear that. I hope you guys are listening and paying attention. If you're just tuning in, this is Jack Dapper Blues Radio or WFDUHD2. On radio, sorry. <laughs> my featured and special guest is Billy Jones Blues, and he's giving you a lesson. I hope you're all paying attention. So now, with that being said, right, because you have some people— well. Let's talk about the audience first, because there is an audience that is really h hardcore into if it's not this, it's not the blues. You know, I, I, I need you have to look and sound like you, you just finished picking cotton and you're walking down the road. Illiterate. <laughs> you said that's illiterate? <laughs> Man, and this is the image. See, now you're back to that social stuff. Some people are comfortable with that, you see. But you're trying to attract a younger audience to the blues. You need to understand that young people want their heroes to be high tech. Mm. They want them to have money. They want them to have cars and nice houses, you know. Even if they even if that listener does not have that, he wants to imagine and fantasize that. It's your job to create this illusion for him. Not to remind him how poor he already is. He already know that. Mm. See? Mm. Now, okay, so now with, with that being said, the irony of your statement, it reminds me and proves my theory, or not even a theory, it's not a theory, it's a fact, that the great-great-grandchild of the blues is hip-hop, you know, and, and I think about that, but it, it, with blues, it, it just like 
old school rap. It wasn't an idea of of being rich and having money. It was an idea of uh, being resourceful with what little you have. So are you saying it's time to evolve out of that idea and come into blues? For some, it's commer- very commercially viable, but for us, not so much. Right. You know... <clears throat> It's true to a certain degree, you know. Uh, some people say you will confuse your audience, but I don't think so. I think the audience is smarter than the industry people give them credit for being. Mm. Grandma is here, and uh, she might like uh, Coco Taylor, but she hear Tupac playing on the radio because she got grandkids that's listening to it. And before long, it's stuck in her head. You see, hip hop is the blues of today, mm. and and it is being viewed and treated the way that blues was treated back in the day when they didn't want you to listen to blues. They were, they want you to listen to the pop music only, only Frank Sinatra and Doris Day, you know. So they go get the blues records like Little Richard say and hide them. Mm. Well, now. They're going to get the hip-hop records. They're getting Dr. Dre's records. And uh, Mom and Dad had just caught up to Motown, you know. Mm. So, uh, it's... Mm. No, I, I dig it. I agree. And and, and, and I dig it. Now, now, as for you, where what's going on with you right now? Are you touring? Are you performing? Are you working on a new album? Did you release recently release a new album? I am working on a new project. I have... Uh, started within the last few days so i'm thinking within a couple months i'll be finished with it i am uh, constantly looking for jobs i would love love to come to new york we, we have to work to make that happen uh i can bring you the real stuff <laughs> i i know that <laughs> with no cut on it <laughs> you know I, I i hear you so how often do you put out an album I don't have any particular uh, schedule for doing it now. Uh, there was a time, like, for example, when I was signed to uh, Black and Tan Records in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, every so often, at least twice a year, you're going to release an album, you know. Mm-hmm. I won every quarter, if you could, but, you you know, you like being farmed like an animal. We're going to squeeze these songs out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not as easy as it sounds. How was your, pro- your your songwriting process? It's, it's all brainstorms for me. I study it, but uh, it's pretty much comes down to brainstorming. And I read a lot of stuff about it, you know. But the creative process, you know, it's a spiritual process. You know, you can make it mechanical and come with that album every quarter. But the quality of your material is not going to be as well done as if you are sincerely feeling what you're doing. Absolutely. And, and that only comes in, you know, some of the uh, songs that I wrote that I like the best. I, I've written while uh, I was cutting the yard or a tree fell on the house and I got to go out there and cut it up. Well, while you're working hard like that different thoughts come to you, you know. That's why you hear a a lot of the people say that they're just channeling the songs. They're not really writing the songs, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you used to hear hear Michael say, I've got to uh, come with this song or else God is going to give it to Prince. Yeah, I remember that. 
know what he's talking about. It may sound crazy, you know, uh, to a civilian, but I, I know what he's talking about, you know. You know I, hear, I hear that. I know you're heavy on social media. Could you let the folks know where they could find you? Okay. Uh, uh, oh, you, oh, you mean uh, our next job and stuff? Well, before you tell them that, you know, um, your website, your, your, your Twitter handles, things of this nature. Uh, Billy Jones Blues, B-I-L-L-Y-J-O-N-E-S-B-L-U-E-Z, as in zebra. If you just enter Billy Jones Blues, it doesn't matter if it's one word or three different words. The the search engines, uh, there are so many... So much stuff out there will bring up the pages. But uh, Reverb Nation, uh, there's about an hour worth of music and stuff on there. I've got the Facebook and, you know, all of that stuff, you know. Groovy. So where, where, where are you performing next? Uh, right now, we've been doing uh, resorts, casino, Harlow's in Greenville, Mississippi, resorts is in Tunica, uh, uh, Natchez, you know, the Mid-South casino circuit. And uh, we want to break out of this uh, and uh, come to New York. Well, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we got to get you out here. Have you, have you heard of B.B. Kings? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got we got to get some action happening, you know. And you and you also tour. Now, do you have a tour? You're just doing that particular circuit at the moment, right now. Yes. Now, after we finish this album, and uh, I could possibly uh, be going uh, back to Europe, you know. But I don't know, you know, because I have to talk to these different agencies, and you have to get all the negotiations and all of this stuff together. You know, I would like to go back to Europe, but uh, the casino thing is like my regular job. Mm. And uh, if I could break into your territory, I would love it. Yeah, well, we, we're gonna we, we're gonna work and help to make that happen because we we're trying to bring some people out here. We're working. I don't want to say try. We're working to bring folk out here. We have a few out here, but the people need to see the blues and the dynamics of the blues, you know, and they need to see more than what's being uh, the regular stereotype, right? And what's pushed to the for, well, what's pushed to the forefront, you know, because the stereotype is it's a generic, non-threatening image. Oh man, we got to we have to discuss that. We have a few minutes left because that's really a great topic to discuss. A friend of mine who's a great musician, her and her husband, Piedmont Acoustic Blues Duo, right. and they're great, you know, and they mastered the Piedmont style. But she made mention earlier on Facebook on posts how uh, guitar playing women don't get uh, the highlight as much as um, guitar playing men or, or, or classic blues type women like Ma Rainey and things of this nature. And uh, my belief is because guitar slinging women like like Lizzie Kid Davis, Memphis Minnie, and, and, and um, Geeshy Wiley and, and, and Maddie Delaney and women like that, they don't fit the description of, of the blues women. And then for what you just said, the man with the guitar and he's the traveling hobo is kind of what uh, image they like to show when it comes to that style of blues. That it would just be their ultimate fantasy to hitchhike down Highway 61 with their uh, guitar strapped to their back. I work on Highway 61. Mm. Oh. 
And I'll tell you, it would take about 15 minutes. It don't matter whether it would be the hot of the summer or the cold of the winter, about 15 minutes, and that fantasy will be brought to an end. It's, <laughs> they, they are imagining, you know. But yeah, that's a romantic uh, version of it. Wow. And, and and you say it's this is a socially accepted image of a black male blues musician. Right. He, he's, he's uh, they feel all warm and fuzzy with that image. He's not a threat. Mm. Mm, that's really uh, we gotta I, I we have to schedule uh, uh, another interview I would like to really go into detail matter of fact there's another um there's another program we're, 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 we're developing that this would be a great topic that I would like you to be part of because that that is something that needs to be discussed. I, I know um, John Tavius Willis and I discussed something similar off air in terms of the the bluesmen that were being re recorded by s certain folklorists and why others weren't and it kind of falls in line to what you you you're saying because some of some some of these men were educated they were um uh, men of renown and they didn't fall into that category or wouldn't allow themselves to to go into that category robert jo real quickly what's your thoughts on robert johnson because a lot of things that you said tonight reminds me of him in terms of understanding how to entertain the audience let me say this about robert johnson now robert johnson's father was a landowner a landlord and a great carpenter mm. he was not a poverty-stricken illiterate he was not the image that is trying to be sold to you, you see. And so the house that Robert Johnson grew up in, they have, uh, it was built so well that it still exists, you know. And so they have uh, remodeled it, and it's sitting next to the uh, Welcome Center in Tunica on Highway 61. Mm. And, you know, they sell stuff in there. You know, it looks all new inside, but outside it's got the chip paint, you know, because, of course, blues equals poverty in that illusion that we're talking about, you know. Mm. Painting the house, the every, uh, it looks like hell, you know, on the outside, and they're selling that image of poverty. Wow. You see what I'm saying? I, I do. You know, but this guy was a highly intelligent and well-off young man. As well as extremely literate and an avid reader. Right. Wow. I, I hear you. Listen, uh, Brother Billy, we're coming to the close of the segment. It was an extreme honor to finally be able to sit down and talk about the blues with you, sir. Well, I'm certainly glad to meet you. Uh, I hope that this uh, interview does not ruin my career like the last interview I did. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I I, I believe, if any, if nothing else. Oh. That's crazy. <laughs> no, that that's not that's definitely not the case. We because we don't put out those kind of vibes, and we're just telling the truth, yeah. you know. <clears throat> but we're going to do our part to try to help get you guys out here. Okay, okay, that sounds good, man. 